0: Fringe creative director, I believe your title is, how's it going? Uh, good, thank you very
1: much, yeah, cool. pretty good. <laughs>
0: so do you want to, um before we get into get into the selections and the year and stuff, do you want to tell us a bit about Fringe and what event the Fringe is and what you do? And...
1: Yeah, so um, the Fringe Festival is a six-day festival of all different types of arts. So it is music, it's film, it's comedy, it's cabaret, um, it is all and every type of form you can imagine, that's it, um, in all sorts of weird and wonderful spaces, so we build pop-up kind of conventional venues in tents and <laughs> in bars and that kind of thing, but it's also, you can go and watch a heavy metal gig in the laundrette, you can go and play bingo with puppets, you can go to a warehouse and watch um, a Korra player. you can go to a rooftop and watch a film, it's, it's kind of all things in all sorts of places. Mm. Um, so how did you... How
0: did you get started? How did it all?
1: Uh, so, it started in 2010, and um, myself and six friends um, set it up. And it was, we were really inspired by the Edinburgh Fringe, which is what people might know. And the Edinburgh Fringe works in a very particular way. So, basically, um, after the Second World War, the government was like, right, everyone's really depressed. We need to do something to cheer up people. And what we're going to do is commission some festivals because that will make everyone really happy. A bit like Uh, The Festival of Brexit, uh, (laughs) Theresa May's panic now. So might not have the same reaction. (laughs) So one of the things they made was the Edinburgh International Festival, was one of these big festivals that was set up, started in 1947, and they put on the biggest classical stars of the time, the biggest opera singers from Italy. And basically, the locals in Edinburgh were not really interested. They were like, "This is, you know, not very accessible. <laughs> it's, it's not, not really affordable. what we want to see." And so, loads of locals decided to put on their own events anyway at the same time to cash in on all the people going to this big festival. Um, and they just put on gigs in their rooms and their houses and just around the outskirts. And the journalist at the time described these events happening on the fringe, and that's where the phrase came Amazing. from. Never knew Yeah, no, so that's, look the, look that's the origins. It's and really then cool. as it grew they formed a society and the first box office was in a bedroom of a local student at the university and the rule was that they would never select who could be in this fringe. Anybody could perform, it could be awful, it could be brilliant, Um, there would be no selection process but all the society would do was try and coordinate it so there's some sort of management so it's not complete chaos so like there's a central box office and you know some sort of central programme and that kind of thing. And basically that's how it's evolved, and now it's the biggest arts festival in the world. So in perspective, Glastonbury sells about 130,000 tickets, Um, Edinburgh sells uh, just under 3 million, so it's a lot bigger. Um, And so we were really inspired by that, we were like, this is a really great idea, really a movement that's really exciting. So in the same way, we don't select who performs at the French, anyone can apply to the festival, they keep their own ticket sales. And We just sort of coordinate it, um, and so it started very much with that same ethos, and has just sort of gradually grown from there. Really, and just on uh, other projects,
0: the like the business side of it. Yeah. boring. Bit. Yeah, if, yeah. You, if they take their money, if they take the money from the ticket sales, how yeah. do you monetize the fringe as a?
1: So everybody um, that forms yeah. the pistol pays an application fee, okay, um, which is normally around the fifty pound mark. Um, and that pays for their entry into the main printed programme that we produce yeah. that lists everything that's happening <laughs> at the fringe. Um and then we some venues we hire so some spaces are free depending on what you need if you need a fully equipped 200 capacity venue with PA and technicians there's a high fee if you don't if you need something you know small space for a pop-up or whatever then it's not um, and then we also run bars at the festival and like lots of other bits like that help raise money as well Um, so essentially it's like a big cooperative though so the risk is shared across everyone taking part in the festival but what is great about it that makes it very unlike the music festivals that people will know is that there isn't anyone really in charge of the creation, so it has a world of its own, it has a spirit of its own, and the best thing in the fringe is you can go and watch something, and it could be awful, and then the next thing you see, it'd be brilliant, and that's the whole spirit yeah. of the festival. Yeah, uh, it's a very different experience to going to Galway Festival, um, and it's the ca- it's that sort of organised chaos that makes it great, and you will see things that you've never seen before, and like I just love it for that. Like, yes, yeah. it's, it's great. It is it's this this having. It does really have a life of its own. It's like we're not fully in control of what we've created, right. and that's kind of what makes it really
2: exciting. Yeah, it's its own organism. Yeah, totally. That's really cool. I mean, obviously, I know about the the Fringe, I know about the Edinburgh Fringe. It, are there many fringe festivals around the country? Yep. That you're aware of, and that you sort of are you in? Like, do you cooperate yeah. with them? Speak to them? There's a
1: movement, a fringe movement. Yeah. So yeah, so there's a Facebook thing page. Called, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> yeah. So that we're part of, think of World Fringe. Um, In the English speaking world, there's a lot of French festivals, so particularly in America, Canada, Australia, the UK, there's a lot of French festivals. In the rest of the world, less so, but it's changing. So, like in France, there's a really big, what is essentially a fringe, but it's called La Off, it's in Avignon, and it is basically a French festival in all but name. Um, So, there are equivalents around the world. The UK has a lot. The biggest one in England is Brighton. Okay. Brighton Fringe, um, which happens at the same time as Great Escape and you know, the Music Festival ah, in okay. Brighton. Um, so yeah, they're they're big. But one of the things that really likes us about, or that we really liked about it, was that um, when when we were at uni, we met Ray Folk, who's one of the organisers of the original Isle of Wight festivals, yeah. and obviously that was like a big inspiration for us as well. So it's not alongside the sort of Edinburgh history the Isle of Wight festivals yeah. both in their present day yeah because yeah. we were you growing can't up can't really avoid
0: it growing up on the island no
1: not at all and when we were like so late teens festival <laughs> and Isle of Wight festival both like in my opinion at their peak and yeah. it was really exciting and this guy emailed us out of the blue and said oh, I organised the Isle of Wight festivals in the 60s would you be interested in meeting for a coffee and we're like Obviously, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we met this, this guy, he's unassuming, I don't know if you've met him. No. Okay, so he's a very unassuming like, guy, he's an architect and lives in Oxford, so like, not what you're expecting at all. And he's like, oh yeah, in 68 in me and my brothers set up at the Isle of Wight Festival. And we ended up meeting him quite regularly because we were just really inspired by his whole story about, so in 69 when he persuaded Bob Dylan to come and play on the Isle of Wight, he was only 24. Wow. yeah. So, and that was pretty... And his stories were just amazing.
0: And Bob didn't have not played... I think it was either... You'll probably call me out on it, but I think it was either in the UK or maybe at all he hadn't played solo in like an X number of years. Yeah, he like had off bike a bike accident. Yeah.
1: yeah, so he'd, he'd had this bike accident and so hadn't, yeah, hadn't played for a number of years and was living right near where Woodstock ended up taking place. But he persuaded him to come and play in the other fight with this story of... Basically, all the poets used to live here, and he talked about Tennyson, he talked about um, Keats, and all these people, and that was really partly what swayed mm-hmm. him. Wow. So, anyway, we were enthralled and we were like, obviously, fascinated by the story, and we were like, you know, why, you know, after it stopped in 70, obviously, from their perspective, commercially, it was a disaster, and there was this law passed, and but we were like, you know, what what happened? Like, what was what, the next bit? Like, what? And he said that in the 90s, he had considered the idea of launching a fringe festival on the Isle of Wight and we're like really? and he said that's why he got in touch with us oh, wow. and we're like you know why and he was like well because he felt that a fringe festival was the modern equivalent of the spirit of the original Isle of Wight festival because wow. Wow. obviously music festivals today are very different to yeah. the free festivals of the 60s and although a fringe is not in format the same as a field music festival in the spirit of the original 60s events the idea that it was about a cultural movement he felt that the modern version of that was a French. So we thought that was very exciting. Yeah. And in one, I can't remember what year it was, but him and a whole load of the team from the original festivals came to the French. And there's this really lovely moment where we were all on the harbour having a drink and it was like these old guys yeah. that were yeah, in the 60s generation. and us in our like early 20s. And, and, and it was blasted. just this lovely moment we were like, oh, yeah, we loved That's it. So,
0: <laughs> so we'll, get, we'll get into it now. We always start with a question about yes. the first piece of music you were obsessed with. Yeah, first things you guys are obsessed with. The first thing that you remember, like, really um, hearing. Like, yeah,
2: we always sort of have stories told about cassettes in cars and parents and yeah. sort of, you know, Ralph saying that he's really cool with David Bowie and The Clash, <laughs> and me saying that I would probably listen to like Steps or something like that. Kind of both at the same time, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember like, I
1: remember in primary school, like, doing a like a talent you know thing, like a show, and a load of us doing S Club Seven. Yeah, uh, songs but I don't know if that was the first I feel like it was probably earlier than that I think at the. I remember my dad was really into um, Madness but the one the, the song that probably that, that probably most like comes to mind is um, that well, Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime uh, my dad used to play that all the time that's a really yes. cool yeah that's and, that's the coolest one yeah, you've got the on coolest one Definitely. just because it's I remember it being like that it's the, it's, the, it's the chorus underneath, like, and, so like and, and I was like, I remember that a lot. He, was, he didn't really listen to very much music, but he would listen to the same things over and over and over.
0: It's That's quite, quite like, I guess, the way that song is, like you just said, about like, under the chorus, it's quite child friendly. Yeah. yeah and want, I don't remember listening to, to anything words, else. Right, about, yeah. It was just that song. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't it's it, easily um, accessible, I guess, if you, yeah. if you are sort of young.
1: Yeah. I don't remember anything else in the album. It was just yeah. that song. So you know, I don't yeah. It's definitely up
2: there. with the coolest <laughs> out, I think, cool bad, But also, S Club 7 was definitely <laughs> Yeah, you've got to make Set the bar high yeah. early. Cool. Um, they had so, a TV show, didn't they? everything. What's yeah, that, they
1: sorry? Had they had a TV show, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. S Club 7?
2: Yeah. They did, and, and there, there was, was the... S Club Juniors as yeah. well. They that had, was like... too late for me. It was the original, yeah. Let's dive into let's do your single then so yeah do you want to sort of take us away with why you chose this single what thoughts were behind it so
1: I don't really remember seeing very much local music you know occasionally I guess but not really taking an interest into it until my mid-teens and in particular obviously being growing up in Vendor this band the bees everyone in Vendor knew who the bees were and they kind of like um, blew up with their second album, uh, Free the Bees, and it was sort of the first local band that I'd ever known that were like actually quite well, yeah, yeah, doing really well. And they were they were signed, and they released this. They had proper music videos, and it was like, oh, they're quite cool, yeah. And also, they were really—they had a really unique sound. I still think they have a really unique sound. Yeah. That was very unlike every other Isle of Wight band. It had—it yeah. had a lot of influences from all over the place. Each album that they ever made is quite different, but it has this um, vibe that just felt—it's got a sort of retro vintage vibe it's got a bit of a sort of Afrobeat thing going on in yeah. a lot of their music and it has jazz influences yeah they're basically a
0: jazz band right? they're like yeah. a pop
1: jazz band exactly and to me I'd never heard anything really like the V's they were quite different and it summed up Vendor really well and in 2007 they were kind of like at their real strong point and this single came out Listening Man, which was from the album, which I think came out just after, yeah, and that was my favourite, that's the first album I remember, I remember that whole experience of the single and the album coming out, whereas previously it was kind of catching up, I guess, with them, yeah. and um, it was great, it was just like nothing we'd ever heard, and I remember, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember them doing a free gig on the harbour and the seafront, and there being like a little scaffold stage that was built, and they did this free gig in the town, and I remember that being amazing yeah I, I also yeah, remember them just, doing a gig that in, doesn't really happen down here doesn't <laughs> happen anymore I also really remember them doing a gig in the back room of the central which is closed down now it was a pub that used to be a Ventner. and there was this back room and they're doing a gig in there and it's just been really exciting that this like proper band were doing yeah. gigs in a pub in
0: Ventnor like, I felt really exciting yeah and they were always quite I guess like they are when I talk about, I mean, they're not an Isle of Wight band like, they, are, they are a vendor band. Band, yeah. yeah like they are it's like
2: level 42
0: the bees, they're yeah. like the two yeah. bands
2: from
1: the album if you listen to Radio 6 like the theme to is always still Chicken Payback that's yeah, yeah. the theme every time yeah. and, and it, they did have
0: like, yeah, like actual hits but then I was, when I was doing my research for Listener Man when you pick that obviously Sunshine Hit Me was all produced in like their shed and recorded yeah, and then they went back album. so Octopus was recorded in a basement studio somewhere on the island as well. so I assume I, th- I think it was recorded in what's now Red Squirrel Studios
1: Exactly. Okay. That, that's yeah. between is it Shanklin and Ventnor No, it's in right in the centre of Ventnor opposite the Crowns attack. Oh really? And there's a little basement studio. Yeah. Um and I think they called it the Steam Rooms and that's where it was recorded. Yeah. And it's still used as a recording studio now, so people are making music in there at the moment. Brilliant. That's that's really great. The young guys that are running it are really cool. And um yeah, it was. Uh, to be honest, the very first album, which was the one they got the Mercury Prize nomination yeah. for, I don't remember that coming out. <coughs> I remember catching up with that later, yeah, and it's much more instrumental. Um, but Octopus was like, yeah, that peak of like, I guess, more being more well known and yeah. touring, and it was just great. I loved how they they changed to me. I guess the name is because they kept changing instruments. Um, yeah, I liked how they have they did take it in turns about sort of vocalists, so give different tracks different sort of sound. Yeah. They were just really fun to watch live. But most of all, I just really associate the bees with Ventnor. They had yeah. like a distinctive sound, it was very unique. And I remember like years later, um, like not that long going to be go honest, going and watching um, Aaron do a DJ set at the Black Sheep and Ride. Yeah. And we went there and it was really packed upstairs. And I was like, oh, he's here for the bees. And everyone was like, no. And it was in the basement and we went downstairs. <laughs> and it was heaving, but everyone in there was from Ventnor. Yeah. And everyone upstairs had no idea who the bees were. It's like, <laughs> come razor. on, this is like. Yeah. So it's got a real place in. Yeah, in the spirit, I think of the town is yeah, still very ingrained there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Nice. Just because it did have, they did just have a very distinctive vibe, I think, yeah. and it felt like you know, there's always been there's a lot of people in the town that are you know really into their northern soul and like a, a sort of a, a sort of jazz and funk kind of vibe as well. And that yeah, all of that sound was not what I remember the other bands in the air playing at the time. and They had that down. It was, but it also was contemporary. They weren't a yeah, it was. They weren't a um, heritage act, you know. They were no. playing new music, and it was. No, they still
0: like I like, listen to the bees, <coughs> and there's still probably nothing else that I actually listen to regularly that sounds like the bees. Like, yeah, they weren't, and it's not totally like holds up to this band. day. That it doesn't yeah, sound, yeah, no, definitely, uh, at all.
1: And um, yeah, and I also found lots of music through the bees that I like would never have discovered before. Older influences, like getting in, interested in jazz and. People like Falakuti, and they're like, oh, yeah. I totally get where your sounds come from now. <laughs> yeah. but I never knew any those people were. Sort of they the, had yeah. inspirations that were much
2: deeper than what I had. So it's a sort of African, definite, definite African sort of uh, influence, but also yeah. sort of samba, Brazilian influence. Yeah, like it's, yeah. So it's, it's
1: a real Carnival-y party it is, music. It. party music, yeah. And then, that sums it up. Yeah, we were really chuffed when um, Aaron from the Bees uh, came and did a DJ set the fringe and he's done it for like the last four or five years on the road now and it's like a real it's the end night and we have yeah. and there's always the last track is always um a beast track at the end of the fringe every year it's just a that's tradition and yeah. there's always some bemused tourists that are like no idea who this man yeah. is but everyone is <laughs> every, the front completely side. and it's yeah, yeah. it's just it it's a tradition it has to end on. with that yeah we've so even fun. got the specific seven inch record that we play it's kept special
0: for <laughs> at the end good. of every French <laughs> that's so good that's like every party we ever throw in any house it always has like and it's the same track. Yeah. it's yeah. always yeah. the same volume <laughs> cool because so we went, went to
2: see 77, 78 yeah at
0: yeah. uh, Strings yeah yeah
2: um, and that was heaving yeah. as well yeah. I don't know if you were there or not that mm. wasn't there but uh, it, was, it was so yeah. packed and obviously massive support for yeah. those guys involved which is brilliant definitely
0: cool so we'll um, move mm. on to your album yeah. So what did you pick and why did you pick it?
1: Uh, so I chose
0: uh, <laughs>
1: Beirut's album, The Flying Club Cup, which was their second album. And um, yeah, similarly, Beirut was a band that like, totally changed everything for me, really. Um, because like The Bees, it was music that I'd never really heard of and... I thought it was just really unusual at the time and I was like I just became the, again opened up loads of different things so up until that point <coughs> I only remember listening to after kind of pop music just sort of general indie music that was around at the time being yeah. really into that um, and then which was a lot at that time there well, was a lot at that music, time yeah. I really loved the band of Holloway so I was really yeah, tempted to the pick Holloway. their albums like,
0: um, Great Britain so this is Great Britain yeah, like that yeah that's the big one wasn't it
1: yeah, I can't remember that title, something like that. Yeah, and I, I, I loved that album and um, The Enemy. and There's lots of bands that I was yeah, yeah. really into at the time. And then along came this album by Beirut and it's like, it's kind of crosses over between folk and indie and world and it's kind mm-hmm. of got this different... And actually this album's a bit symphony as well. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I was really into Zam because it bre- it breached two worlds for me, so I had my indie music, but the other thing I always remember, really, really interested at the time, was I really liked film soundtracks, I was like really into that as well, and films generally, yeah. and um, for me, that was a bit of a crossover between the two, it had mm-hmm. this sort of like, it sounded like some sort of film um, to me, and, um, and it was singing in indie music, so um, it was great, and... I also remember it being one of the first albums that I remember downloading as opposed to like buying or yeah. anything. And I don't know if I downloaded it when it first came out but I remember downloading it and that being quite a
2: big deal at the time. How did you feel about that? Because I remember downloading my first album and feeling weird and dirty about it. Like, <laughs> I liked it for the format of music and I was like, you know, downloading, I bought it but... All I, I remember is it sad. being quite expensive
1: Yeah, and I remember you would buy a track sometimes on iTunes on iTunes yeah, yeah. yeah but sent an
2: IP yeah. yeah yeah, yeah.
1: and then I also remember that I didn't have an account so I had to sign into my parents if oh, I had to be able yeah. to buy iTunes to buy it so yeah I, don't, I do remember that and also this was like I remember MySpace was a big thing at this point yeah. so I was like
0: really into that And there's a lot of stuff in the notable mentions that we're going to that like just came out of nowhere through that MySpace yeah like that year MySpace is great I love MySpace just everyone just appeared
1: and my was different to like Facebook that followed it was a music yeah. focus to it and you could talk to bands on it and things and yeah yeah it was great and um, I just love the fact that it sounded like it was from some even though it's an American band in my mind this was some Eastern European Balkan it band it so I'd
0: never listened to the album yeah and I listened to it over the week and every time I listened to it I was like it just sounds like French. Really French. Yeah, like it yeah. sounds so European. Yeah, and then when I was doing the research, I like I looked into it, and he was like into French cinema at the time and stuff. Yeah, I think they did um, a lot of traveling. Yeah, and um, it just really it has a European feel about it. I think.
2: Yeah, I love the instrumentation. They use so many different instruments. Yeah, and it actually reminds me a lot of like Metronomy, who obviously came later. Yeah, but yeah, the repetitive beats, particularly in that album. Yeah, with yeah. the sort of nice keyboard soundings, maybe you could you could almost like sense that it would be on a crappy old Casio that they were yeah. playing it on. Um, and it's almost like Fleet Foxy with the massive yeah. chorus but almost like Animal Collective as well where it's quite... So they're like right at the beginning
1: of that whole wave of folky sounding music that comes. Yeah. So yeah, the Bon Iver, Fleet Foxes, all these bands that come yeah. along with loads of like more electronic bands like people like Yeso and MGMT and I loved all of that that yeah. came just a bit later. Yeah. Beirut was like for me, the first of that open-the-door music, door. yeah, and it totally, it was quite, it was just really transformative, because it was a big change, and the first album, Gulag Orchestra, which came out the year before, was quite big-bandy and folky, and then okay. uh, Flying Clock Up has got a more electronic mm. feel to yeah, it, like, That's what cool. that synth sound, and um, but it's quite catchy for quite yeah, unusual it music, it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, and then they, well, I can't remember the exact order of things, but uh, this, it led to something else really significant which was they there was a film made off this album right. which is called Cheap Magic Inside and it was a YouTube film and that also absolutely changed everything for me in a big way because um up until that point I only really remember watching like MTV and <clears throat> I was looking up for this and I thought like, YouTube launched in 2004 so it's not until about 2007 seven eight I remember you know, watching yeah. YouTube as a thing, yeah. and um, there was this film made called Cheap Magic Inside, and it's the first two Beirut albums sort of mushed together as one long music video, and the whole thing is done in one shot or what looks like one shot, right. and it's handheld and it's live. Yeah. It's not, but you know, live. Now that's like loads of videos on YouTube now, like handheld people playing in unusual spaces, and you know that's just quite a normal thing. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. And it goes around this block of flats and into a garden and around this city. And the whole thing is like one long shot. It's like an hour long because it's two albums. And it just absolutely changed the way I saw films and everything. That whole media format. And it was just a real eye-opening thing. And that introduced me to a thing called The Takeaway Shows, which basically is the instigator of the whole of the Fringe and everything. later.
2: Because so it, link, it links really nicely to what you are doing now as well. Early on, yeah. So and also talking <laughs> about like sort of MySpace and YouTube and bit them them being sort of channels of free media as well. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, because then because from, through that video, that
1: was on a there was a website called La Blogotech. I think it still exists. It's a French music website. Which I never heard of, or was reading, but they ran a series on YouTube called the Takeaway Shows, which I don't know if you've heard of. Mm. And they there was a period around this era, maybe a little bit later, that they were they were really big, and they just made loads of bands perform in the street in different places, like very common YouTube videos now. But again, at the time, felt really new; just hadn't yeah. seen it before. Handheld, and it introduced me to loads and loads of new music. But also, I was fascinated by the filming. And the guy that made most of them was a guy called Vincent Moon, and so I became really obsessed with him and his filmmaking. I thought it was really interesting, and he came to the very first event of Fringe. Wow! Mm. And he—that was the main uh, one of the main things at the original event Fringe. So I emailed him. This is a little tangent. That's yeah That's the whole. Thing. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so when I this is a little bit later, so like two or three years later, and I just moved to university like literally the week that I'd moved there. Or maybe it was just before, I can't remember. But anyway, I, I emailed this guy and just said I'm a massive fan of your um, of your films. I think they're really cool and we're thinking about setting up this little festival on the Isle of Wight and we're just a bunch of teenagers from this little town but just basically it was like a real yeah. yeah out of the blue. Yeah. I think what you do is amazing type email not really expecting to get a reply. Of course, yeah. Not making any offer, just literally saying I'd love to talk <laughs> totally to you is. or something, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, amazingly, I got a reply from him saying, I'm actually in London right now, do you want to meet tomorrow? And I was oh, like, no. oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like massive panic attack. And I was like, yes, okay, great, that's me. So, uh so he told me this address near Bethnal Green. I, I didn't know my way around London at all. I'd literally just moved there. I remember not knowing anywhere. It was all new thing. Yeah. Get to the address. We swap numbers. Get this text saying, um, can you buy some wine? And I was like, oh, what, is, you know, what are we going to? Like, what yeah. is this going to be? And I remember going to the supermarket, I'm like, do I buy expensive wine? Do I buy cheap wine? <laughs> <laughs> and I get to this tower block in uh, East London. It's up, like, I have many floors up. And I get to this flat and there's this big party going on. And it, this is, like, for me, like, it's a crazy thing to be doing. I have no idea who this person is. It's literally just, like, yeah. you and i blue. And then I meet this guy. And he's, like, absolutely stereotypical French film director. He's got a, a moustache and beard and thick Parisian accent and, and smoking constantly. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's, that's him. I found this guy. And he's... Um, and I remember just being on this balcony and I'm talking about his films, what he does. And uh, we went out with this group that wrote this party around East London... Uh, got absolutely wasted and um, at the end I just remember him saying, do you know I'm going to come to your city? And I was like, it's not really a city, it's kind of of like a a very small village. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, no, it's going to be great. And then we left and uh, I remember thinking afterwards, like, that was an amazing special experience but like, he's definitely never going to come like, that was just a thing. And I left it a couple of weeks and then emailed just like thanks so much but like, you know, if you ever do want to come, obviously get in touch. And he said, yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to come. And um, so then that, that summer, he came with his friend, a guy called Gaspar, who's a cellist. And we took over an empty shop in the town, and we turned it into a 20-seat cinema. We found all the old cinema seats from the old cinema at the Rex that used to be in the basement of this right. shop. So we um, made this little 20-seat cinema in this shop. And it was like the film Chocolat, like these two crazy Frenchmen turn up and just open this cinema for a week, and then it vanished. And they just like they were just absolutely hilarious, just outside, like "Hello!" hello. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a really special, special thing. And I remember just, it was the whole them being there because um, those films really set the tone of the festival, which was yeah. these intimate, immersive experiences yeah. that were live, intimate, special, and like the whole So, so Far movement and all those things that came after. Yeah.
0: That's That's the, the, whole yeah, of that whole vibe was, was of. yeah
1: and for us the inspirations of like both Edinburgh but also the excitement of the big festivals like Best of White but also those that YouTube takeaway shows were like the inspiration of these little immersive special moments Yeah, and so it was really special to have him come and do this Thing, yeah, right. it, was, it was big, and that and I discovered him through
2: the Beirut. That was that yeah. was the first. Yeah. <laughs> such a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> such a good story. Yeah. It's like meant there was a video game, and you're yeah. like unlocking it all the time. So the, so the very first
1: promotional films that we made for the festival were basically our attempts at making takeaway shows. Yeah, and yeah. we we did make one that was like 30 minutes long as well. That was just like that cheap magic inside. Just like it wasn't a shit, (laughs) but but we we made our version of that, and I don't know if it ever even got put online, but yeah, we were that was a big inspiration, definitely. And um, it's been a dream ever since the Beirut One Day Play, but you know, never know. I was actually (laughs) going to ask you if you've ever got
2: in contact with them to say because I I literally listened to the album today, yeah, uh, and I've sort of seen that they have been quite active after that album anyway, yeah, until I don't know maybe like 2015 or. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I imagine that there's still a band that are going. And have you ever tried to get in contact with them and
1: um, put them on down here? No, we have. Um, they're just a bit too big. Yeah. But we've. Um, it's always been a dream, yeah, to have to have a band like that. Yeah. And I remember that obviously when Vince McMahon came, I was like, "Any chance to could me? up for <laughs> <laughs> um, And and he'd worked with like loads of bands so I was really obsessive as well. So it, yeah, it was really exciting and. Um, yeah, we did make some links through it, definitely, and some yeah. of the people that played at the Fringe have been through that first encounter, um, but not Beirut, sadly. Nah. I've never actually seen Beirut live, either. It's <laughs> one of my only bands that I really like, still, that I've never watched, because they didn't play anywhere, you know, the, yeah, anywhere, locally. Yeah.
2: Nice. Yeah.
0: So we'll do some, we do notable mentions at the end, that are like, just stuff that was around at the time. Sort of gives a bit
2: of, little bit of a context to yeah. what was going yeah. on outside of your bubble. Yeah, in two thousand and
0: seven. Yeah. So you obviously mentioned like all the indie sort of Myspace Space. Yes. So, so like literally just some of the stuff that I grabbed off was like Jamie T panic prevention. Yeah. Which probably would have been I, mean, I would like to pretend that would have been Mine of the Year, but yeah. if I was being honest <laughs> and following our own format, like it wasn't because I got into that a few years later. Yeah. Um, I think mine probably would have been Myths of the Near Future. Which yeah. Is Flaxon's Yeah. I remember that? First album, yeah. I think. Um, and if I'm yeah if I'm being honest that's probably what I was listening to the most in 2007 um, I, think, then, I
1: think for me Barry was very much an outlier like that wasn't my general music taste it yeah. was definitely the indie music yeah, yeah. and there was so, so, was so much a, of it so much like, like, indie music just like, yeah like Icky <laughs> Fun Baby shampoos. yeah
0: um, and the ones that I'm into now and i leave you to yours <laughs> but if I was gonna if I was gonna pretend that it would be Arcade Fire and the Un it was that year yeah and was LCD it? yeah LCD Sound Silver so LCD Sound System Sound of Silver was also that year that was amazing so yeah if I was gonna I, was gonna I pretend, don't think
1: I discovered Arcade Fire till a bit later really no I didn't there were the suburbs that's uh, yeah suburbs but, but they also made a great video with Vincent Moon which wow. was the one that made him famous. Oh, I right. why we found it. So, <laughs> they, so they did this, it's, if you google Arcade, YouTube Arcade Fire Takeaway shows, they did, I can't remember where it is, somewhere in America or Canada, they do this big stadium gig, but in the way to the stage they do this performance in a lift. Right, And that was the video that made the Takeaway shows big, because that was the first big band yeah. to have done it. Oh, and I've seen that. It's a really famous video. Yeah, And so that was the one that made him known really. Mm. So yeah, it was good really cool. But I didn't really know. I don't remember no, no I, didn't,
0: I I was going to yeah. pretend. But yeah, I, I got into them much later. But that would have been... And then what have you got? Uh,
2: well, on the way over, I was like, I'm going to take 10 minutes out of this episode to rant on about the most <laughs> important album of all time, which came out this yeah. year. But it's not really. But it kind of is at the same time. <laughs> ready, uh, ready ahead of my favourite band. Yeah. And In Rainbows came out yeah. this year, which is not only... A Different album in the sense of it's completely different to anything that they ever did before, yeah. Uh, musically and sort of Tom York's lyrics because Redhead were always a band that sort of spoke out about like the politics and yeah. uh, whatever was going on at the time. Like, OK Computers, obviously, historically, an album that projects sort of social anxiety of yeah. flying and stuff like that. Um, but in Rainbows, is more introspective and he talks about his loves and his feelings and stuff, which is. Amazing because I don't know. I just feel like I, yeah, a lot of people connect with that, obviously. But it also they did that thing. I'm not sure you're aware of where they told people that they could pay what they want for it and they put it out on their own label oh, and right. it completely sort apart from like yeah, its time yeah. like, like Prince. Prince was another guy who did that as well yeah. um, when he did the artist formerly known as Prince back in, I think that was like in the nineties after, cause he had a massive like falling out of his label. Yeah. Really had went through the same sort of thing, but they were like, oh, we're going to put it out on this label, which is ours. Or they, they had a lot of control over it. Yeah. Um, and you can pay what you want for it. And it was online as well, going back to what we mentioned earlier about the sort of yeah, It's just stuff. about that
1: point, I feel, isn't it? Where yeah. Becoming and a,
2: and it's they took advantage of that and were like, uh, and then Manic's is like, oh, you're dickheads for doing that. <laughs> and then there was a whole like spat between these two bands, but, yeah, massively important album, and one exactly the same as you, like, I wish I could say that, I was massively into the album at the time, but we were 13 years old, <laughs> so I didn't really understand it that much.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's funny You like a lot of things you hear a little bit later. I do, I do remember just being at the beginning of this, like, folky wave starting to come through, Yeah, about that point, just starting. Yeah. I think The Nationals' first album came out in 2007 as well, uh, okay. The Boxer, which... I don't know if I listened to it in 2007, but definitely soon after became yeah. a quite a big thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that whole American wave of music, I think, was just really starting just to, to... come over. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Nice. Come through. Right. And it felt a bit more mature than the indie you'd listened to before. It's, like, just that point where it's changing. Yeah, yeah it was
2: kind of like bubblegum indie before that. And yeah. It kind of got a little bit... More and also indie. a lot of boy
1: bands and girl bands. And then I think at this point it just starts to... Or maybe it's just as you get older, but it definitely felt like it was just at a point where it's starting to
2: yeah to change yeah nice interesting year cool what else we oh doing? yeah okay. oh we got some singles oh uh, yeah we have got some singles Um, <laughs> which ones do you these want? now are still like you've put some notes here saying they're basically still played today these songs yeah. which is it, it's <laughs> incredible <laughs> 11 years later <laughs> it's we're like still here <laughs> yeah. it acceptable in the 80s by Calvin Harris yeah Ruby by Kaiser Chiefs massive yeah. tune yeah uh, Foundations by Kate
0: Nash See, look at like Jack Pignate as well
2: I think um, normally when
0: we do the notable Mentions there's like one song that we find no, and we're like, like do you remember that being played constantly yeah also and
1: 2007 I'm pretty sure was like is that the year that is 2007 the year that um, Rolling Stones played I Love Festival yeah that was a big year it was Snow Patrol yeah, yeah. Um, Muse uh, Muse and the Rolling Stones yeah. Yeah. and that was that was the first year I've been to the I Love Festival kind of like on my own with friends and yeah. my family were kind of like around but I wasn't really, really with them Classic. Oh, and um, it was a big that was a big year the stage was much bigger yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Was on a, it was the year I had my GCSEs wow. and uh, obviously I, I went to Medina so it's on the school field Yeah. and I just remember like the headmaster being like oh well you know on the Friday the festival won't start until you finished your history exam <laughs> And obviously, just <laughs> <that's like laughs> no interest yeah. in this street yeah. because yeah. all you can think about is this massive festival, which at the time was like so exciting. Yeah. That was thing. like, so that was one of its big years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that Snow Patrol. I don't know when that came out, but that was a big thing.
0: Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But there's just, there was just so many songs that just seemed to be like we've got Hey a Ryder and How to Save a Life, which I remember oh, both yeah. of them being like yeah. so both like making... always on radio. Yeah. And they're effectively the same song as well, <laughs> but there wasn't one. When I was looking through, there wasn't one single that like was that year. There was no. just so many big wave, <laughs> which is like I say, it's the
1: beginning of that sort of slightly folkiness just, uh, Yeah, and then that has a couple of years before it blows over. But yeah, yeah. it's a
2: big thing. It, it comes back around. Cool. Would items, you remember um, Mark Brunson Valerie? Did that come out this in that year? Yeah. Mar- the, so the, the version has come out.
0: Yeah, the only one house version. Yeah. The Valerie.
2: Yeah, it was that year.
0: Yeah, which is like massive yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, that was big.
1: Yeah. But yeah. still one of the best selling records
2: what versions
1: uh, yeah yeah and, and um, yeah it's funny listening to those stacks and what, what sells now in our in the record store yeah of like course some of those things still some things some things date and some things don't uh-huh. yeah, everyone has is like one of them just
0: sells really well always it's mad isn't it? we did an episode <laughs> with Jim from Studio Humbug yeah. and he was talking about Pearl Jam yeah and there was a really weird stack in that their first two albums were the biggest selling albums on vinyl until Jack White's latest album came out <laughs> came and that's why was all full circle that like, Jack White's like, jumped into the top three yeah. it's yeah it's a really bizarre bizarre time event I guess yeah the record things another whole like,
1: I was not into that in 2007 it was all about digital was exciting yeah. iPods yeah, you know, yeah. like having your first mp3 player um, was definitely at that point that felt the modern yeah. cool thing tapes yeah. I hated tapes it's like, Definitely desperate really to get rid of those. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like, even there's tape labels, like, specifically, that like, yeah. put tapes out now. It's a nonsense, but yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying too hard. <laughs> uh, they're just really annoying, let's be honest. Yeah, but, it um, not And also, no one actually has a tape player, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, great, the whole point of a tape, to me, was that, like, you could listen to it in a car. Obviously, no one has a car has a tape player, so no, it's just totally redundant as yeah, well. yeah. I've got all these um, old, like, photos and stuff on floppy disks, I don't have anything that reads a floppy disk, <laughs> so I've got all this stuff that I remember being like, "Oh, save
0: that for like future life." Can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, totally useless. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Do you want to do your, like social media and like fringe details? It seems to be. A yeah, sure. To do. So, so like, how can people keep up to date? Well, there's an array of different things. So,
1: the Ventnor Exchange is the space that we run. It's a little theatre and record store and bar. That's in Ventnor. That's obviously. where we are now. That's where we um, are now. Yeah. Um, so that's Vendor uk, and on all the normal things, but not MySpace, sadly. Um, <laughs> the Fringe is in July. Next year's our 10th anniversary. Yeah, and you've moved the dates. We have moved the dates. It's a bit earlier. I think it's the 23rd to the 28th of July. <laughs> um, and that's uk. And then we also have a music festival, which we top- piloted uh, to the year before last, uh, called VIF, the Vendor International Festival, which yeah. is returning next year in the new dates of November the 1st and 2nd oh, so that's it's like a to year today yeah almost. it is Yeah. yeah. so that will be returning
0: nice. next autumn exciting cool well yeah thanks very much that. yeah right, thank, thank you. you thank you <laughs> <laughs>